It's nice to be able to be with you today and um, I'd like to add my uh, wishes to, to all the mothers that are here. Happy Mother's Day uh, for, for this weekend. Um, you know, we, we truly uh, do appreciate and value all that, all that our mothers do. I guess without our mothers we wouldn't be here, would we? Um, so I trust that the mothers will have a, a special day, special day tomorrow. I um, we just wanted to know the the editor of the record um, whether whether he got that ro um, that um, hot-headed uh, road rage temper from his mum or his dad. <laughs> They're both pointing fingers at each other. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> One's right. <laughs> You know, speaking of mothers, I'm reminded of um, the story of a, the little boy who was um, not just his mother, but his mother and his father would, would always tell him um, Bible stories at bedtime. And um, this would be a, a, a regular thing that they would do in their family. Just before he'd go off to bed, um, they would tell him a Bible story. And he never quite figured it out. Why was it that they would use these Bible stories uh, just before bedtime? You know, they would, they would tell the story to him of the um, story of Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they'd tell the story of Noah and how he built the ark. Uh, they'd share the story of David and how he slew the giant Goliath. They'd share the story of, of Jesus and um, how he fed um, a crowd of people from five loaves and two fishes. So they, they would always tell these stories. But then one day, they the, the little boy finally worked it out why it was that they were using these Bible stories just before bedtime. And he figured it out when they got to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and off to bed we go. You know, that's a story that uh, is quite well known to us. And I want us to look at that story together today. I want you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Um, and I want us to, 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 to just pick out something that I believe is significant for uh, the time in which we, we are facing. Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to compare it uh, with, with the other story that, that's found there in, in the book of Daniel. So come with me to Daniel uh, chapter, chapter 3. We, we find the setting given there right from the very beginning, from the, from the opening verse. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, the ruling monarch of the time, uh, orders for this uh, magnificent statue to be built, all of gold, sets it up, and he orders the people to come to its, to, it, to its dedication. And you find here the instructions that are given regarding this statue, this image. Uh, in, verse, in verse 4, we read these words. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. 
As soon as you hear the, the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, the options are, were quite simple, weren't they? The options were that the people were either to bow or they would burn. Pretty straightforward. That's all there was. And uh, when, we, when, when faced with this situation, we can see which option the people choose. It was pretty straightforward. It was simply a case of either they, 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 had, to, they had to bow or they would burn. And faced with those choices, to bow or to burn, it's fairly easy to see which one they would choose. You see, disobedience becomes really unthinkable, doesn't it? Some, some may have said, well, look, let's just, let's just bow and get this thing over and done with. Others, others may have uh, looked at it from the point of view, well, look, it, this is not anything that we need to lose our lives over. Uh, the Jews that were there perhaps reasoned this way. They thought, well, when you're in Babylon, you do as the Babylonians. And so they all probably had their reasons and they all bowed. So it says, but as we read on, as we read on, we find that not all bow down. Verse 8, we come here and we see that, that, that some of the, uh, the officials there come and report to the king, come and dob to the king about uh, some who did not bow down. If we come down to, uh, they come to the king there, and in verse 12, if you pick it up there with me, they, they speak to the king and they say to the king, there are some Jews among whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And hear their name from, from, our, uh, from our story, from the opening illustration, the three that are named, Shadrach, Meshach, and... Bednego. And they say to the king, there are, there, there are some, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So whilst everybody else bows down, not all did bow. Here we find three young men who stood up. Three young men who stood up to the king. Three men who cho chose to stand for Jehovah. And as a result, they, they, they are summoned before the king. The Bible tells us uh, that uh, the king was, was furious. You, re you read that there. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the, the king wants to, uh, I guess, 
in a sense, give them, give them another opportunity. Uh, and the king, king essentially, uh, as, he, as he works with them, he's sort of saying, now, fellas, just listen here, you know. Perhaps, perhaps you haven't quite got it. Me, king, you, my subjects. What I say goes. And if we're in any doubt, all you need to do is read back in the previous chapter where, where the king uh, was really annoyed with his wise men who couldn't interpret the dream and he orders them to, them to be killed and he does indeed begin doing that. And so the king tries to reason once again with, with these uh, three young men who, who stood up. Uh, but, but we find that they are, they are unconcerned. And, and I, want, I want you to notice here with me uh, their response to the king who's trying to give them another opportunity. This, this statement that they make is one of the greatest statements of faith that you'll find anywhere in, in Scripture. And for me, it is one of the most inspiring passages that, that's there. Notice here with me uh, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Notice their confidence. But then they say what? But even if he what? does not. We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Huh? Do you get what these, these guys are saying? Our God whom we serve, he is able and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down and serve your gods. You see, this, this was clearly a choice for them that they, they, they were going to worship God. They, they, as, as good Jews, they, they clearly understood that um, their, their loyalty to God, that they had chosen to be loyal to Him, meant that they would not bow down to any other idols, images, statues, as God had commanded in the Ten Commandments, and they were going to hold to that. But here now faced with a situation between bowing or burning, they are choosing to stay loyal to God, even if He doesn't intervene, even if He doesn't save them. That's an incredible statement of faith. Challenges, challenges me, challenges me to the core. Because these young men were not serving God out of self-interest. That's what I want us to see here. They weren't serving God out of self-interest. They weren't saying, we will serve God if, he deliver, if you deliver us. And so often we hear, Lord, if you do this for me, I am going to then what? You can finish it, however. Not these young men. And, 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 and as we just contemplate what the implications of what they're actually saying here, and this is not, this is not what I want us to concentrate on this morning here, and uh, in a moment I'll, 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 I want us to, to go further than that, 
but, but I cannot move on without highlighting for a moment the significance of what these young men are saying. They are not serving God out of self-interest. They're saying, our God whom we serve is able and he will, but even if not, we still won't bear down. In other words, we're going to stay loyal to God no matter what. Uh, they, 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 they essentially are saying, King, you can get as mad as you want. You can turn up that furnace as much as you want, but we are going to serve God and leave the consequences to him. Wow. What a statement of faith. And I think if we were to consider us, if we echoed those same kind of sentiments, the God, for instance, let's consider the one example, the God whom I serve, is able to ensure that I'm able to keep the seventh day Sabbath. But even if not, I'm still not going to take that job and break God's fourth commandment. The God whom I serve is able to help me with my studies and my exams, but even if they get scheduled on the Sabbath, I'm still not going to sit it and I'm going to honour God. See, that's, that's what these young men were getting at. It's no compromise. No compromise. Now, we know the, how, how, the, how the story ends, of course. They, in, in, quite, quite remarkably, they, well, they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they weren't harmed whatsoever. And what we find is the Son of God is right there in, in amongst them. And, um, and, and they, 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 they are, they are delivered, delivered miraculously. Which brings me now to chapter 6. Flick over a page or two in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 6. I want us to now go on and, and compare this one. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Parallel story to Daniel chapter 3. And uh, if, if, you, if you're interested, you'll notice that the, the book of Daniel is, is, is structured in a very significant way. Um, but what we find here is chapter 3 parallels chapter 6. In chapter 3, we have a story of worship being enforced. In chapter 6, we're going to see the same thing, just like chapters 2 and chapter 7 parallel each other. Chapters 4 and 5 also parallel each other. That's an interesting pattern, uh, as, as, as you notice there. But for our purposes, chapters 3 and 6 are parallel chapters. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 6. It, it, we are introduced here to King Darius, right? We've moved on for a number of years. No, we've moved on a number of years after the events of Daniel chapter three. Babylon is no longer the ruling uh, power. Uh, the Medes and the Persians are now the dominant power, and King Darius is the king. And he, we read here that he appoints 120 satraps. And he appoint, appoints these officials uh, to oversee his empire, to, with administrators of, with sorry, verse two, with three administrators over these 120 one of them who was Daniel Daniel the Jew the satraps were accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss reading verse 3 Bible says now Daniel was so distinguished sorry now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. How, how did that go down with the rest? Hmm? At this, 
verse 4, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They couldn't find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Wow, let's just pause there for a moment. Tell me, when was the last time you heard a politician described like this? Hmm? What, 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 what a commendation. Now, jokes aside, forget the politicians. Is that what people can say about you? Is that what people can say about you and I? That, that, that there's nothing that they're able to find in us. What a, what a commendation, isn't it? The king wants to promote Daniel to be essentially second, second in charge. And um, of course, this generates animosity and jealousy amongst the others. And so they look for grounds in which they can trip him up. And there's nothing that they can find. There's nothing at all. In fact, the only thing they can end up resorting to is what? In, in verse 5, it tells us, it tells us there, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Wow. He's pagans. They, it's not that there's something wrong with Daniel's relationship to, to his God and to the law of his God. It's not, that's not the issue. In fact, they know that Daniel is so loyal, so faithful, so consistent that if they can do something, he's going to, he's going to remain so consistent that they'll be able to trap him. So they devise, they devise a plan. Verse 6, the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. Notice these words. And they said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed. Now, let me just stop there. You've always got to be careful when, when someone comes along and says, Oh, look, we've all agreed. Anyway, it says, that they all, it says, we've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed. So Darius put... The decree in writing. Did you notice the similarity to chapter 3 here? Did you notice the similarity? In chapter 3, everyone was forced to worship and there was no alternative. Here, everyone is forced to worship, to pray to the king and they cannot pray to anyone else. You see the parallel? Both issues of forced, of forced worship. In chapter 3, what we found is the freedom to worship was removed. There, there, there was no option. Either you bow or you burn. 
Here in, here in chapter 6, we find, that we find, we find the, same, the same thing taking, taking place. And so, uh, you know, aside from the fact that you must, one must wonder what was going through the king's mind, that he didn't understand the implications of the law that he passes, nevertheless, he passes his law, perhaps appeal to his vanity. They say, look, no one, make this rule so that no one can pray to anyone else except to you for 30 days. The king passes the law. And then in verse 10, we read, the law has been passed, it's been enacted. Notice what Daniel does. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. The key words, just as he had always done. That's why these guys knew they'd trap him. Very next verse onwards, you read... They spot him there, uh-huh, caught him, there he is. And they run off to the king and dob him into the king and the poor king realises now what a stupid law he has passed. He himself is bound by the law. He is not above the law himself. And Daniel ends up in the lion's den and as we all know, Daniel ends up having a better night's sleep with the lions than the king does in his palace huh? but what I want us to notice here is chapter 6 parallels Daniel chapter 3 again we have the issue that freedom to worship is removed you find here that the state legislated worship both in chapter 3 and in chapter 6 and personal worship was disallowed. In other words, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were not allowed to, to, to be able to stand. Here, Daniel is not allowed to pray to his God. So not only is he forced one way, but he's also not allowed to express it his way. Do you see the point? Freedom to your faith was removed. Now, th th these, these two stories that we've looked at briefly, they seem quite far removed from us these days. I mean, we, we have laws to protect us for religious freedom, don't we? We, 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 ha we have to go back or uh, years ago, or we have to go to different countries to, to, to get something like what was kind of happening here where freedom of religion was restricted. I think, for instance, my own mother who grew up in communist Europe where uh, because she was a Seventh-day Adventist and schools then would run from Monday to Saturday, she never went to a school on the Saturday, but every Monday morning when she went to school, the teacher would punish her because she had not been at school, even though the teacher fully well knew that she wasn't going to attend and why she wasn't attending on Saturday. We have to go way back to communist times to, to something like where religious freedom was threatened. I mean, we have laws to protect it. Here, just a couple of years ago, we had a, a couple of Adventist University students here in Adelaide that had a, had, a, had a medical exam that was scheduled on a Saturday. They contacted us and we were able to, uh, to write a couple of letters on their behalf that they were able to take to the university and on that occasion, the university acceded to it and their exams were rescheduled for them. These days, we have laws to protect things, but 
Friends, things, things are changing. Things are changing in Australia. Let me just share a couple of examples with you. You may recall the marriage plebiscite that we had here just a couple of years ago. Now, apart from the outcome and, and, and whatever, and that's not what I want, us, want to focus on this morning at all, but if you, if you, if you paid attention to the, to the sentiments of our Australian society at that time, you would, have, you, would have picked, you would have picked a trend, you would have noticed that the sentiment, that the mood is that Australians no longer want this to be the, 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 the standard by which particularly the marriage law was defined, you know, up, up until until that marriage plebiscite, the, the traditional biblical definition of marriage is the one that was enshrined in Australian law. But there has been a shift where the, as a society, as a society, we don't want the biblical view anymore to be imposed on us as a society. You see, there was a, there was a subtle shift and this is not a play on words, so listen carefully, follow it carefully, think this through. There's a subtle shift from freedom of religion that we have enjoyed up until now to, a, to, to this, this attitude of a freedom from religion. Do you see? There's a difference there. Let me share another example. Late last year, in Victoria, the government passed some legislation called the Conversion Therapy Laws, which makes it illegal, listen carefully, makes it illegal to pray for someone, sounding a bit like Daniel chapter 6, illegal to pray for someone to try and change or suppress their sexuality or gender identity. This legislation is the most severe law against faith than anywhere in the West. Queensland and the ACT have already passed similar, albeit less harsh laws. And the West Australian Premier, in the lead up to the state election, which you may recall was only, what, a couple of months ago, is that right? The WA had their, their state election. The West Australian Premier announced that if he was re-elected, he was going to pass the same legislation that Victoria had passed within 100 days of his re-election. Now, he did get re-elected. Let's come here to home, to South Australia. This article in the newspaper caught my attention late last year. The proposal, proposed Equal Opportunity Amendment Bill. And uh, reading, and this is quoting from the article itself, Equal Opportunity Amendment Bill being discussed late last year. Uh, just, just, just interestingly enough, it, you know, it, it was like December, which is really crazy time in Australia with the whole Christmas rush. People, people aren't thinking about these kinds of things. At the same time, our state government here was de uh, debating the whole uh, abortion, abortion legislation, in a sense to bring us in line with the, the rest of the states around the country. That's, that's another topic in and of itself. But notice what it says here. The South Australian government was proposing new laws that would make it illegal for schools 
This is independent Christian schools. To, to refuse to hire someone or terminate employment on the basis of sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or intersex status unless there is a genuine occupational need. In other words, Christian schools will no longer be able to be preferential employers, to be able to employ those that are, that are holding their biblical Christian values. Here's a commentary from Christ, a statement fact sheet from Christian Schools Australia, referring to this South Australian le proposed legislation. It says, if the bill passes, now let me just pause there, if the bill, I, I don't think it has passed and I'm not sure uh, what the latest is. It, it says, it will expose Christian schools to discrimination claims for teaching biblical views of marriage, sex, gender and sexuality or for requiring conduct consistent with biblical standards in relation to dating, relationships and sexual conduct from students. The bill is deeply flawed and, er and it eradicates protections for Christian schools and their religious freedom. You see, if you think this through, and there, I know there's a number of schools employees sitting here this morning, the, 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 the ultimate extension of this is it could lead to the, the time where the government says, unless you comply with these guidelines, we are going to remove our funding. And guess what that is going to do for your jobs? Because our schools are hugely government funded. There's no way in the world we'd keep our school systems going as a, purely through our church offerings. No way in the world. You see, we miss the point if we think that the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are just nice little children's bedtime stories. We've missed the whole point, friends. We missed the point because, because the book of Daniel, as I alluded to earlier, is structured in a very interesting way. You have, have 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. The first six chapters, the first half of the book, are your stories where you've got the experiences such as we've looked at here. The second half of the book is where you've got the prophecies predicting what's going to happen in the end times. The point is this, that the stories anticipate the experience of God's people in the end time. In other words, what happened in Daniel chapter 3 and 6 is going to be repeated, albeit on a global scale, just before the end. And I believe we're starting to see signs of that happening incredibly even here in Australia. The tide is turning. There's a subtle shift that's starting to happen. Notice the reactions that we had just a couple of months ago, earlier this year, uh, around Australia Day. This lady, as some of you would recognise, is who? There you go, you, you know. Margaret Court, former uh, tennis champion, won a number of uh, professional tournaments, and, uh, and, and she was awarded uh, the Order of Australia uh, honour at, at, at Australia Day this year. The other thing though about her is that since retiring from tennis she uh, has become a pastor and um, is a preacher and she has spoken out um, against, uh, she, she has expressed some view, views on, on homosexuality and, and, um, and, uh, and matters related to that. And uh, as because of her expressing those views there were a number of significant people 
who were very upset with the fact that she was given the, the Australia Day Awards earlier this year. Notably, Kerry O'Brien, a, a, a veteran ABC journalist who himself received an award, and in protest for the fact that uh, Margaret Court had received an award, he refused his reward and has rejected it. The Victorian State Premier, as well as the West Australian Premier, have both objected to Margaret Court receiving this award. Now the lady is 78, I don't know, she might be turning 79 by now soon. Doesn't matter. But the sentiment there from the public and from leading individuals shows you the attitude that's changing. Something that I like to do from time to time is read the letters to the editor because it, it, it gives you just a little bit of an insight into what ordinary Australians are thinking and their attitudes. And, and at, just after Australia Day, here's what one person uh, wrote the letter to the editor. And I've just got a portion of the letter. Notice what they say. To the increasing numbers of people using their religious doctrines to make a point about how we all need to behave, you immediately lose the debate. Now, I've cut out a little bit, so I'll get to the point. This person goes on and says, using your religious beliefs based on a book written about 1,300 years ago or more as a rationale for what our current law should be is quite frankly preposterous. Which book they're referring to? It's the Bible. Okay, let's see what they say and go on. Believe it or not, a few things have changed since these books have been written. By all means, worship whatever deity floats your boat, but do not use it as a rationale for legislation or to tell us what we have to think. Keep it in your church where it belongs. Wow. Do you get, do you get the sentiment there? There's a subtle shift from freedoms of religion that we've enjoyed to a freedom from religion. We do not want that. Do not share it. Do not express it. I thank God for people who are making a stand. People like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who are standing up for their faith. Here's one organisation. Freedom, freedom for faith. They are a, a Christian legal think tank. Uh, most of these are lawyers and, and, and high professionals, committed Christians themselves, who uh, are following what's happening here in Australia. And I remember this particular gentleman that's up on the screen, Michael Callahan, um, who came and addressed a group of um, at, uh, our Adventist church administrators across Australia. And I'll never forget him saying, he said, you know, you think that things are slowly starting to change in Australia. He said, they are changing at, a, at an incredibly rapid rate than what you would realise. And I thank God for people like this because essentially what they do is they're following what's happening and they're, they are, they are uh, preparing submissions um, that they lodge with, with, uh, to, to the governments when various uh, bills are being proposed that could threaten our religious freedom. I encourage you to speak with your local members of parliament. They are there to represent you, to serve you. 
and God has called us to be salt and light. We, we should be proactive in, in meeting with them and sharing our perspective on things like this. Just, just prior to Christmas last year, our local member of parliament in, where, in the area where we live, she was, she was letterboxing our street and I made a point of going up to the letterbox and talking with her and uh, she, had, interestingly enough, was telling me then that the abortion bill was being debated and she wanted to know my perspectives on it because it was going to be, as you would know, a conscience vote for the, for the MPs. We have every right and we, 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 more than anything, we should be, as, as God's people, proactively communicating with, with our MPs and letting them know our perspectives on these matters, friends. We live in changing times. The freedoms that we have enjoyed are diminishing. The stories of Daniel chapter 3 and chapter 6 are going to be repeated. Now God may or may not deliver as miraculously as he did back then, but one thing is for sure. Faith cannot be legislated, nor can it be stopped. Let me say that again. Faith cannot be legislated. God is a God who, who, who wants worship out of, out of, out of love, out of, out of a choice. He doesn't want people to be forced to have to, to worship. So faith cannot be legislated, that's what I mean by that. But also, faith cannot be stopped. It cannot be extinguished regardless of what laws may be enacted. And that is a most powerful encouragement. You know, when we come to the end of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 in verse 1, I want us to just look at this as a final thought. Daniel chapter 12 takes us to the very end, to the very end of time. The end of verse history. Daniel chapter 12. Leave this as a challenge as an, and as an encouragement for each of us today, friends. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 the end of time, the Bible says, at that time, Michael the great prince who protects your people, in one version it says, Michael shall stand for your people. Michael here is a depiction for Jesus Christ. It says at the end, Jesus himself is going to stand for his people. And friends, my appeal to you is, are you prepared to stand for your faith now? Are you prepared to stand for your faith now? Because as you, if you are prepared to stand for your faith now, rest assured that one day Christ is going to stand up for you at the end of time. Is that your decision? Is that your desire to stand for him? I pray, I pray that it is. I'm going to invite the singers and the musicians to lead us in our closing, closing song which is, I pray, actually going to, as we sing this, that, that actually will be what your desire is, that you're going to stand, uh, stand, up, stand up for Christ. It's hymns number 618, stand up, stand up 
for Jesus. Let's, let's sing this song together. Thank you.